of Hoopsology, Justin and Matt go into the lab and give their early first round impressions, and then they welcome Philadelphia's Inquirer's Mike Sielski to discuss Kobe Bryant's legacy based on Mike's book, The Rise, Kobe Bryant, and the Pursuit of Immortality. Mike also gives his thoughts on the playoff expectations for the Sixers, and he explains why Philly fans despise Ben Simmons. Uh, we don't want to miss this chat. Really good analysis. You're going to really enjoy this episode. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod.gmail.com. Follow us on all social media platforms for our latest content, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are a proud member of Underdog Podcast. And now, go into the lab with our early first-round playoff impressions. Welcome to In the Lab with Hoopsology. We are back once again. I am Matt Thomas, joined as always by my co-host and best friend, Justin Goodrum. Justin, how you doing, man? Good, man. Good. Just uh, enjoying the playoffs. We're finally here. It's been a long uh, slog to the end of the season, but I'm glad to see that the playoffs are uh, picking up. Definitely agree with that. And also pleasantly surprised with, even though it's been a short number of games so far, just how entertaining and unexpected some of these things were. You guys that just listened to our prediction podcast earlier this week already know some of the things that have turned out differently than we might have expected. Granted, it's early and we don't know how these series will end yet, but we want to talk about favorites today. We want to talk about what we've seen so far, what kind of has maybe taken us off guard and some concerns with some of the teams and to do that we're going to talk about some of the sport ads we are going to bovadasportsbook.com for these odds that we'll mention during the show so you can check that out if if you're looking and if if you're able to gamble on that of course be responsible if if you're doing that goes without saying but um we are going to uh start off with I, I want to give a quick rundown on since we've been talking about player awards i want to give a quick rundown because we have some information on the schedule of when they're going to announce these awards and we have two awards justin that already came out so we'll go ahead and dive into that on monday so just yesterday uh, as of the day we're recording this podcast jaron jackson jr was announced as your defensive player of the year. I don't think this is entirely shocking. I think for myself, you know, I, I would have liked to see him play more overall minutes over the course of the season to win this award, but can't argue with his impact when he is on the court. So Jaron Jackson Jr., your defensive player of the year award, I believe on Bovada, he was the favorite to win this award last time we talked about it justin any thoughts on on him picking up the award no i concur i think when we were doing our awards check-ins he was the premier favorite um so not surprising there um of course we we talked about maybe bam Adebayo, maybe Giannis, um some other names thrown in there but uh, it seemed like jared jackson jr um he fulfilled his uh odds there as being the, the favorite so congrats to him Absolutely. Yeah, it seemed like on the Bucks, you had maybe potentially some players kind of crossing each other out because sure. I think Brooke Lopez was the leader to win the award on that team. But really, I would argue Giannis is a more impactful defender overall. But also you have Drew Holiday, who is one of the best defensive guards in the league. 
So you have a, a great defensive lineup, obviously explains why they are where they are in the playoffs. Today, on Tuesday, we had the first ever awarding of the Clutch Player of the Year award. So I guess this is based a lot on fourth quarter performance, impact at the end of ball games. And we had a winner from the Kings who are very relevant right now. Uh, De'Aaron Fox picks up the first ever Clutch Player of the Year award. So again, congratulations to him. Justin, thoughts, thoughts on this? I know Jimmy Buckets was another favorite uh, to win this award, but do you feel like it it wound up in the right hands here? Yeah, I think so. He comes off as really poised and really mature. And, you know, the Kings, we'll get to you later, um, might be a little bit of a spoiler, but I see a little bit of a Suns um, kind of transformation there, um, mm-hmm. but only there's fans. And I think that's really cool to see. I will talk about that later, but um, congrats to Fox. I, I don't have any problem with that. I, I wonder in the future if we're going to get into more of a analytics versus eye test with this award. So I'm curious to see how that dynamic plays out in the future since this is a pretty new award, but congrats to him. Um, and he's been just killing it in the series against the Warriors. We'll talk about that later. But Agreed. Could really go either way with that in terms of yeah. like subjectively awarding it, like you yeah. mentioned, like eyeball test or – Statistically, there are a lot of stats on sort of clutch statistics at at the end of the game. The other two awards that we know about that will be that are scheduled to be awarded this week tomorrow. So probably by the time you hear this podcast, may already know that coach of the year will be handed out. It seems like Bovada favorite was Mike Brown. It seems like consensus around the league is that Mike Brown is going to do this. Kings in the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. So it's kind of hard to argue with that, especially given, I don't even think they were a play in team last season. So pretty outstanding job there Thursday. I'll fast forward to this. And then any comments you have, of course, Justin Thursday, we'll find out who the sixth man of the year award winner is and the favorites, there, top three finalists, Bobby Portis, uh, Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Emmanuel Quickly. <clears throat> Brogdon, of course, from the Celtics. Quickly from the Knicks. Portis from the Bucks. I believe last we checked on Bovada, um, Quickly, Emmanuel Quickly was the favorite here, but there's been a lot of noise for Malcolm Brogdon as well. I do wonder if the depth of the team impacts both he and Bobby Portis from winning this award. And it goes to quickly because of that. We'll see what the voters say. Any thoughts on coach of the year, six man there, Justin, excuse me. Um, Not too much. Um, I think just with coach of the year, I think Mike Brown is shoe in. I I think it checks up all the boxes, Um, the long playoff drought, the fans being back into it. They're kind of a new trendy team in the NBA. I I think he's a shoe. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't win it. 100% agree. Let's jump into the playoffs and give kind of a quick review here of what we've seen so far, how this compares with our expectations and predictions. I'm going to start with a softball for us, and that is the Nuggets Timberwolves. Granted, they won't play again until tomorrow, and we've only seen one game so far, so you can't infer too much 
out of one game, but the home team Nuggets, who are your one seed in the Western Conference, took care of business. I believe it was 109 to 80. Yes, there's a score right there. And Justin, do you have odds? I mean, how big of favorites are the Nuggets in this series? Um, I don't. I'm just looking at. Oh, I take that back. Let's see. Um, they are uh, negative uh, 330 on Bovada right now over the Timberwolves. Um, I believe that's just uh, their next matchup, uh, which is April 19th. Uh, but yep. that's the bet at the moment, um, I guess, the Timberwolves. Which I, I, I'm kind of a little bit surprised. I thought they'd be a bigger favorite than that, <laughs> to be honest. So it's a little bit surprising. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. Um, and, and really, again, I, I don't want to touch on this too much because they're doing exactly what we expected them to do. We did kind of have concerns about them being a little slow out of the gate. Not the case at all so far. A little more surprised, I guess, that the Timberwolves didn't compete as closely with them maybe that's fatigue from playing games who knows but we'll see what happens in in game two and, and check back on this in the near future a uh, little more exciting of a series that we'll look at next the grizzlies two seed versus the los angeles lakers um man what can you say here um I mean, shout out to Austin Reeves for one thing for that fourth quarter performance um, and hopes, of course, that Anthony Davis, who did return to the game and was OK, as well as John Morant, who didn't turn to the game. And we don't know if he's going to be able to make it to the next game, which also is on the 19th. <sighs> Man, John Morant went out in that fourth quarter, and it seemed like from that point on, I mean, the the Grizzlies stuck with the Lakers there, but really it just seemed like there was no hope of them coming back. They kind of threw everything at Jaron Jackson Jr. He was able to hit a three-pointer. He was able to score a bit in the post, but just was not able to keep up of the balanced attack of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm definitely already worried with the game one loss that I have misjudged the Lakers. Granted, some of this being bad fortune with John Morant's injury. How are you feeling about this series? Granted, yes, it has just been one game. Yeah, nervous <laughs> like yourself. <laughs> and the odds on Bovada reflect that. I'm um, just looking at it right now. Um, the Grizzlies are <clears throat> um, plus 225. The Los Angeles Lakers are 275, uh, negative 275. Um, so it's pretty, pretty close. Um, yeah, I'm feeling very uneasy with John Moran out. But at the same time, you look at Anthony Davis. It, he's one injury away from being out too. So it's kind of like a roller coaster. And I think I'm sticking to my prediction with Memphis. However, I, I could see it going seven um, just because of the injuries and the ebbs and flows. So uh, we'll see what happens there. And also with Memphis, um, just looking at some of the stats here, um, they have the best home, ro home record in the NBA. So that's pretty concerning that the Lakers beat them game one, despite, Morant being hurt. So I think that is a warning sign for this team with a lot of pressure. I realize they've made the playoffs before, but um, this is probably the first time where title aspirations championship that is in the radar of this team for a lot of their fans there. And, you know, pressure does play a factor, believe it or not, despite what Mark Cuban says, <laughs> um, 
you know, pressure and intensity and just to feel at the series, that is something to um, really take account for this series. And if John Moran is hurt, um, you, you have veterans on there. LeBron, he's been in every conceivable situation imaginable. So, you know, that favors the Lakers in that regard. So we'll see how it plays out. But like yourself, I'm feeling pretty uneasy, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, well said. <clears throat> and I think, you know, Memphis has had this identity all year of like, we're the legend killers. We're going to take the Warriors out. It would be massively disappointing if they were bumped out, of course, in the first round by the Lakers, who I would imagine they initially were favored over, or at least it was it was probably closer than the odds are at now. Um, but I could be wrong about that because public opinion has been strong with the Lakers and maybe you and I were wrong to predict against that. We'll see what happens. Justin and I, of course, picked Memphis in six. So next series, one of, I would say more intrigue, um, not necessarily anything that is out of the norm from what we've expected. Basically home team has carried so far which is what you're supposed to do at home. And that, of course, is the three-seed Sacramento Kings versus the six-seed Golden State Warriors. I guess I was just mega impressed by that game one that the Kings held on, just kept attacking and attacking, and were able to sustain that that lead. I thought at a certain point, you're going to get a stop as the Warriors and you're going to be able to give yourself enough three-point attempts or what have you, just field goal attempts when you've got Stephen Clay that, you know, no lead is ever secure, as we've always talked about. But credit to the Kings. I mean, they the best offense in the league, Warriors' second best offense in the league, and had just enough defense to keep their pace up uh, and outgun the Warriors. Thoughts on this series so far, Justin? Yes, um, tons of thoughts. Uh, first, I think to your point with the Sacramento Kings, their defense has been really huge. Steve Kerr mentioned that, forcing a ton of turnovers for the Golden State Warriors, and that's been a huge factor. Another thing is the Warriors are horrible on the road. So this is, I can't, not too surprising, and this will be a test for the Kings. They've never been really put in a situation of you know facing the defending champions, and you know they're going to the Warriors' house, which they have a very intense home court themselves. So this is a big test for the Kings and for the Warriors. Another thing is with Draymond Green, um, in terms of what happened there with Sabonis um, stepping on him, and just you know how he is with technicals. I mean, he's always <laughs> uh, leading the league in technicals. We don't know how much of a factor that's going to be, in, you know, in future games in terms if the Warriors do <clears throat> advance as we picked how that's going to be a factor in terms of how much of an impact that is going to be on with the Warriors. So um, even though with our predictions, I can't say I'm too surprised with the Warriors' floss this season. And if they lose, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this team, where they go from here. I mean, Steph's relatively healthy. Clay, I think we have given him the grace to come back from his devastating injury. We know about Draymond being older. Um, pool has been a huge factor on this team. Um, I believe Wiggins is out. So I, I just, where do you go from here? I, I think there might be some dramatic changes if the Warriors lose in the first round. Yeah. A lot of money on the books there in golden state. And, uh, 
Yeah, I'm with you. Lots of rumors already circling about Draymond to the Lakers after this, thing, things like that, uh, which tend to happen. The Warriors, as we mentioned on the last episode, struggle on the road. That's what they've done so far in Sacramento, although that game one was close. So they need to carry home. Absolutely. I, th I think both of those games are must win since they are the lower seed here and don't have home court advantage. So you would expect them to bounce back in a big way when they come back home and the bench to play better as, as typically is the case in the playoffs. Last series, again, another surprise in, in my book anyway. So pretty much all of these except the one versus eight seed have been surprising to me at first, although it's early. This last series, of course, the four seed Phoenix Suns versus the five seed Los Angeles Clippers. And what do you know? We get a weird but impactful game by Russell Westbrook. We get a fan interaction at halftime, him saying, mm -hmm. stop calling me Westbrook, you know, that that whole thing again happening. Uh, but we get a road win in game one for the Los Angeles Clippers without Paul George. And I am floored. Kawhi Leonard was amazing. The Kevin Durant by the stats was pretty amazing as well for Phoenix. Chris Paul had a rough game. I believe he was like two for eight from the floor. So they got to have more from him. And this is something where you now start to wonder, and yes, it's only one game. I, I still would pick Phoenix to win this series. But each of those four cogs that are, are driving this Phoenix Suns machine have to be functioning for them to get a return here. And, and I think that's what we saw today. You had a little bit of weakness there and the Clippers had enough to get past it they have enough they certainly have more depth overall than the phoenix suns even if they don't have as much talent so justin your your thoughts on this and um and give us the odds on this as well if if you have them because i'm curious to see what the plus minus is here yeah it's razor close um the suns are minus 185 clippers are plus 160 so it's like wow virtual okay. dead heat on both um, huh I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, the Suns are inconsistent. I mean, to me, it's like, I don't like any of these teams. I think the series will be fun to watch, but in terms of picking a winner, like, I don't have faith in any of them. Um, I think it's very interesting with Charles Barkley, what he said on his pregame analysis that Kawhi Leonard's been playing the best basketball in the league for about a month now entering the playoffs. So <laughs> I, I think that's really fascinating to hear just, you know, with his, his huge game one. But you know, I'm not I'm not too surprised. And you know, with Chris Paul, that's the story of his career, right? Really just, you know, up and down, really, you know, inconsistent. So we'll have to see. But I wouldn't write him off. He he's coming when people dismiss him, he, he's coming huge. So he is still a big part of that team. So um we have not heard the last from him. Hundred percent agree with that. I, I am pretty fascinated that those odds are so close there. I, th I thought, yeah. uh, you know, Phoenix might have more of an edge there, but is what it is. I had the Suns winning that series in five games. So <laughs> if the Clippers win one more, which you would assume they probably will take one more, you know, my prediction is a little off base there, but if, who knows? I mean, I might not even picked the uh, correct team to win the series there. Um, moving to the East, 
we have in the one eight matchup, a kind of surprising outlier result here again with the road team winning game one fairly convincingly too. I mean, Jimmy Butler, kind of a, a vintage Jimmy Butler playoff performance, not shocking at all to see him playing well in the playoffs, but man was basically just doing what he wanted to do against a deeper, typically better defensively team in the Milwaukee Bucks. And the, the Heat are a team that haven't played that well offensively, but were able to light it up in this instance, take the 1-0 lead. I, I would still <laughs> not shy away from picking the Bucks. That would be an incredible upset if the Heat pulled this off. But what did you see with this game one and how much are the, the Bucks favored by? Yeah, so looking at, um, let me see. I don't have odds for that. Bobadas doesn't have that listed. Uh, but I will say, as a recording of this podcast, which is April 18th, Giannis is listed as doubtful for game two. Mm. So that's very interesting. And you have Tyler Hero who broke his hand. He's out for like four to six weeks. So you have to wonder how that's going to play into game two. And I would say that probably you could argue the best player on the court is Jimmy Butler if Giannis is injured. So yeah. um, that is a huge concern. And, and the Heat, I, <laughs> this is another team I don't – I hate picking them and the Clippers, especially with the Heat, because they're so easy to dismiss. I mean, when they played yeah. Chicago, that wasn't like that was a great performance. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, that wasn't that impressive of a victory. So they're totally easy to just write off. But, you know, why – why write off this team? I mean, ever since the bubble, they have, you know, overachieved and they know how to win. They have a great coach. They have a, a veteran leader there with Jimmy Butler. They, they cannot be dismissed. Uh, but I do see if Giannis returns. I don't, since he's listed as doubtful, that probably might change. Um, it, I would say even if they go down to zero um, with a team like the Bucks, I expect them to come back and win with Giannis. Um, I think that'd be incredibly disappointing. I think it'd be a black mark on him. Not the injury. I mean, the injuries happen. But um, if he is healthy, relatively, if his performance is good enough and they'd somehow still lose, I think that will hurt his legacy. So we'll see. We'll see how he is. If he's, like, banged up, if he can't move out there, then that's not his fault. Like, what are you going to do? So I think this is going to be a very interesting series to see, you know, how that back injury is really going to affect Giannis moving forward. Yeah, and you're kind of playing with fire. If yeah. he's able to play in game two and you don't play him, you're kind of saying, hey, Jimmy Butler, we think you're too old to do that two games in a row. And I don't know. That's that's a dangerous game to play. That might be the correct opinion to get Giannis some more rest as well. <sighs> but um, we'll see what happens there. I, I do still fully expect the Bucks to win this series. I think they can even take a game or two, honestly, without Giannis. I think they have enough talent to be able to do that. But you're right. Jimmy Butler is the best player in that series if Giannis is out. Uh, so it gets a lot more interesting. A series that is not that interesting, I'll, I'll just come out and say it, is our, <laughs> our next one here. And um, th this may be the only prediction that I feel like we kind of nailed so far. Uh, granted, a lot of extenuating circumstances contributed to the other stuff we've talked about, but Boston versus Atlanta. Game two just wrapped up as we were talking here. And 
Celtics are up 2-0 in this series, taking care of business at home pretty convincingly as well. Double-digit wins in both games. Actually, both games they won by 13 points. Um, so, yeah, I've, I fully expect Boston to win this. Again, I predicted the sweep. If if they go five games, you know, that's still a pretty dominating performance there, and I fully expect that to happen. Any surprises, things you're seeing that you want to mention, and um, do you have how big of a favorite the Celtics are? This might be the biggest favorite here i don't unfortunately i don't with bovada they have like different they have a selection of games oh um, gotcha but we'll get to a huge favorite um i'm sure in a little bit um but in terms of this series i think celtics are in championship form and i would say you know if Giannis is out or if he's hurt or something weird happens i think the celtics are the favorite um yeah at least in the eastern conference and they look really good they're um clicking on all cylinders and yeah, I don't see Atlanta winning a game in this series, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty easy. It, it seems to have figured them out uh, for the Celtics there, so they will presumably just keep on rolling. Series that has, I guess, gone to most people's expectations has played out a little differently than I would have thought. Is this three versus six? Philadelphia versus Brooklyn series. Nothing out of the norm has happened, really. Philly has carried home, and they are, I assume, pretty heavy favorites here in this series as well. But I, I just thought this would be a little more competitive than it's been with the Nets. I, I thought, if nothing else, the Nets would have the firepower to be able to keep up with the 76ers for a few of these games. Hasn't been the case just yet. I mean, game two... Brooklyn only scores 84 points and Philadelphia wins it scoring 96 points. The Sixers lead the series 2-0. Justin, your thoughts on this series so far? Do we need to uh, pull Ben Simmons off the bench here? <laughs> um, I don't think he's going to make too much of a difference, um, at least to <laughs> um, our guest um, coming up after you hear this podcast with uh, Mike Sielski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> Um, so um, I'll leave that to you to listen to regarding thoughts on Ben Simmons. But uh, with odds, um, that's how bad it is for the Nets. Um, the 76ers are um, negative 5,000, um, and the Nets are plus 1,600. So wow, I would say it's over <laughs> um, regarding that. But I would say this series, it's gone the way I thought it was going to go. I didn't think the Nets had any type of a challenge for the 76ers. Um so it's not too surprising. And, and especially if you're a Nets fan, you're kind of evaluating where you go from here, losing Durant and Kyrie Irving. So they're putting up of a fight. I think if they win a game, I think if you're a Nets fan, you feel pretty encouraged by how the season played out and how the Nets, you know, didn't just tank and just give up. So I, I think you would feel pretty good considering the circumstances. Absolutely. Last series we're going to look at real quick and uh, just cover is probably going to be the most fun series as we talked about last time. And it has not disappointed so far. Um, the New York Knicks and the Cleveland Cavaliers, Cleveland being the four seed, New York being the five seed, New York, once again, seems like this has happened more than usual. Road team wins the first game. The Knicks win in Cleveland, 101 to 97 in game one. They are playing right now as we speak 
And it seems like Cleveland revenge mode is on because they're up right now, 79 to 58. Uh, so punch and now the counter punch in game two. And I could see the series being like this all the way. I could see definitely the Knicks winning when they get back to game three. Yeah. Then maybe, maybe Cleveland takes one on their court in game four and back and forth. We go until someone gets to those four games, obviously any surprises here with that first wind or win in game one or what you've seen. Um, not any surprises. I think just with this series being played out, man, this, the Mavericks has made a massive mistake with Jalen Brunson. He Oof, is the, yeah. what a leader of, for the Knicks, I would say. Uh, and yeah, I think this is going to be a close series, potentially to go seven. And I know we, I think I forgot who we talked to. Was it CP the franchise or somebody else who covers the Knicks? I think I asked about um, if they won the title. You know what would happen, and they had a muted response. They were like, "Oh, I think you'll be okay." And uh, but man, to see those Knicks fans after Game One, I mean, they're losing their minds. I mean, heaven help, <laughs> heaven help New York if they win the title somehow, because I just, I don't know. They get hyped after one win, like I've never seen a fan base. I mean, you saw the Kings; they were pretty like calm, just waiting to enter the arena. Um, there's a bunch of Kings fans there that seem pretty, you know, just happy. I mean, the Knicks' energy is just completely different. So uh, I'm not be saying that a lot if the Knicks continue to advance, but um, that's what I'm noticing. I just there's nothing like Madison Square Garden when the Knicks are in the playoffs. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And just I I think just even though they're a rival of the Bulls, I have like a soft spot for the Knicks and. I am kind of rooting for them just because I just want to see how nuts their fan base goes in terms of after each game win. So just sentimentally, I want that to happen. But um, I think people picking the Cavaliers as the favorites, uh, I, I think is warranted. Yeah, with you. And I, I think that's who we both picked in the yep. series in spite yep. of, I, I feel the same way as you do about the Knicks. I mean, they're very high on my list of teams that I want advancing in the playoffs, given that, you know, my favorite team isn't, isn't in <laughs> the dance right now. Um, you know, I would say regionally it's the nuggets for me. Then I uh, got a soft spot for the Kings as well. Kind of those lovable new face underdogs. Uh, I've always been a fan of Giannis, but I, I would probably honestly rather the Knicks go further in the playoffs if I could choose it. Honestly, of any team in the Eastern Conference, I if if I could push a button and I get I get one wish that is playoff based in the Eastern Conference, very specific. I know I, I would pick the Knicks in the NBA Finals just because I'm with you. I think it would be so much fun and the NBA as well. Everyone, yeah, yeah. I mean, the league would like it because it'd be huge ratings. So, <laughs> absolutely. So. Let's go Knicks, I guess. Uh, carry on. <laughs> Keep up the good work. At least, you know, if nothing else, we're getting an amazing series with this. And uh, so far, a great first round. And we got to wrap up so we can get back to watching the first round. Um, Justin, anything else before we wrap up here? No, that's it. I love the energy. Um, especially in the first round. It, it's I love the fans just showing up, so that's a cool thing to see. And we're just waiting to, to really, you know, await the outcome of some of these teams that are going to be, are they legit? I mean, what about Memphis? What about the Kings? Uh, could the Cavaliers get bounced early? I mean, if there's a lot of teams that are new to this type of atmosphere, 
um, can they handle the pressure? So we'll see. Absolutely. He's Justin Goodrum. I'm Matt Thomas. Thank you for joining us once again. This has been In the Lab with Hoopsology. We will be in touch with you guys again very soon. We have a lot of exciting interviews that will be coming out in the next few weeks. Very excited for you to hear that. Thank you, as always, for your support. Take care. Peace out. Hoopsology podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best, as you know, in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance Package. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Hoopsology at Manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and all man is a game changer. A huge shout out goes to Manscaped for hooking Matt and I up with the Performance Package. Inside this package, you'll find a lot of useful items. You'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer that you've probably heard of before. You'll also find their new weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. You'll find crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner. Don't sleep on those products, gentlemen. Performance boxer briefs and a travel bag. And for my bearded brethren, and I know there are a lot of you out there, be sure to check out the new Beard Hedger, which is a tool that makes managing your beard so much easier. 20 different instantly adjustable length options, no more messing with multiple clips with your trimmer. It's a really slick and ingenious product. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Hoopsology. That's H-O-O-P-S-O-L-O-G-Y at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Hoopsology. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. We thank Manscaped for supporting the show. He is a sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the author of The Rise, Kobe Bryant, and The Pursuit of Immortality. We welcome Mike Sielski onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And Really been looking forward to this interview, just, just your vast experience um, just about Kobe Bryant and about the Philadelphia 76ers, which we'll get to later. Uh, very relevant now this time of year. But first, um, since you've put out um, the book about Kobe Bryant, it's been about a year. And I just want to ask you, what has been the reception? Usually on our show, we talk about authors and the book hasn't come out yet or it's been out for like a week or so, but it's been out for almost a year. What has been the reception so far? Uh, it's been terrific. Uh, it just came out a couple of months ago in paperback, uh, which was which was great. You know, you always want to have that happen <laughs> if you publish a book. And um, you know, universally, uh, the reception has been very positive. Uh, people seem to have uh, appreciated the fact that I kind of focused on Kobe's early life. I get a lot of feedback from people saying uh, I learned a lot from the book uh, that I didn't know about Kobe which was great. That was part of my aim and my goal in writing the book. Sorry for shaking my laptop there. Uh, and uh, so far, so good. I haven't heard anybody come back to me saying, boy, you really screwed this up here or there, <laughs> which is always a fear if you're an author. Uh, and I, I think I can say publicly that uh, the, the book has been optioned uh, for a movie and a documentary. Oh, wow. congratulations. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details of 
who and what and timing and all of that. But, um, but that was great news. And so, um, all positive, Justin, thanks for asking. Yeah. And I think with Kobe, for me, his death really, I, I was, this might be too personal, but it really hit me in a, in a very personal way, unexpectedly, because I'm a fan of basketball, but I'm not necessarily a Kobe fan. Um, I've always respected his game, but not necessarily like other Laker fans and, and Kobe fans in particular. Um, do you, did you find that in terms of when he passed away, just his death, just on just the culture of basketball overall? I, I know it just hit me in a way I wasn't expecting. Um, did you find that among other basketball fans that not necessarily were Kobe fans, or even criticized Kobe, were his harshest critics, but yet when he passed, maybe appreciated him more um, since he's been gone for this amount of time so far? Yeah, I absolutely have, Justin. Um, he had, for all his flaws uh, and for all – uh, the complexity, the good and the bad to his life. He had this kind of indefatigability to him, this idea that he was the Mamba, that he was going to be around for a while. And whatever he was doing at age 41 when he died wasn't going to be the end for him. Yeah. And so I think the fact that he died as young as he did really hit a lot of people in the same way that it hit you, that this is Kobe Bryant. This is not the kind of person who's supposed to die young. Kobe can't die. Kobe's got too much more to do. Kobe's had this amazing basketball career, and now he's a girl dad, and he's writing, and he's winning Academy Awards for filmmaking, and who knows what he's going to do next. And, and we also, as a society, I think, looked at him and said, you know, here was somebody, uh, whether we thought about it this way, consciously or unconsciously, who had been down to the depths, down to the bottom. And through his own doing, really, and has brought and brought himself back out of that. And that's a story that we like in America. That's a story that our society likes, a narrative of redemption. And so when that story uh, ended before whenever we thought it would be completed, um, that that hit people very, very hard, I think. In your research, did you discover about Kobe and he's very similar to Seth Curry on um, both their fathers playing in the NBA um, even with you know Jalen Rose with his father playing in the NBA as well um, in all three of those cases them outperforming their fathers um, what was kind of the, the aspects in terms of just a performance jump from like their sons um, transcending their father's game did you did you discover that through your research well I mean I really honed in on Kobe and I can I can speak yeah. for Kobe more than I can speak for Steph and Dell um, or anybody else. Uh, I, the thing about the relationship between Kobe and his dad, Joe, was that, you know, Joe was a terrific, talented player, but Joe always felt like he didn't get his just due in the NBA, that he was ahead of his time in a kind of a bad way. You know, he was six foot nine uh, and he could handle, he could shoot, he could do a lot of different things. And yet coaches kept putting him in the post in the 1970s and 80s, that's where you put a guy who's six foot nine. And, you know, Joe had his flaws as a player. He was a bit of a flake. He was the kind of guy who would show up late to the team bus for practice and things like that. And he had to go to Italy and play professionally abroad to really get the recognition that he felt like he deserved. And so to a large degree, Kobe early in his career felt like, you know, I'm going to have the career that my dad didn't have. I'm going to redeem the Bryant name in basketball. And so that was a great motivating factor for him. And then the other aspect too, I think anytime an athlete has as a father or a mother, an elite athlete, 
and is raised by an elite athlete, there's a process of osmosis. You know, you're learning little things um, throughout the course of your life just because you're exposed every day to the expertise of this parent who can, you know, has this amazing set of skills. And so Kobe knew how to um, prepare his body to handle the rigors of basketball. You know, he's 12, 13, 14 years old, icing his knees after he plays pickup in a local Philadelphia gym. And the other kids are looking at him going, what is this dude doing? But he had seen that from his father and his father's teammates in the NBA and in Italy, and he was going to do it too. And, you know, it's those sorts of things that really, I think, made somebody like Kobe kind of stand out from his peers. He had this, he was living it and learning from it all the time. And I think that's probably, you'll agree, where he adopted that mama mentality. And I'm just wondering, I mean, compared to, I, I think, another influence of his, Michael Jordan, I find that a lot of athletes today reference Kobe more than Michael in terms of just having that mentality. Why do you think that is? Is that just because um, Kobe was younger than Michael, just because maybe the athletes today can relate to Kobe more? Just not necessarily in terms of, like, who's the best, but just, like, working hard. Like, you hear a bunch of athletes, they relate to Kobe in terms of his work ethic specifically. Uh, why do you think that is? I think you put your finger on it. I think it's two things. Number one, I think it's, as you said, Kobe is closer in age-wise to they are. There are many athletes, you know, many players in the NBA who played with and against Kobe still. Um, so he's fresher in their mind. Uh, and then the other thing, too, is let's be honest here. It's a matter of branding. Kobe gave himself the nickname the Black Mamba. He wrote a book, co-wrote a book called The Mamba Mentality. That is a very powerful term and phrase. You hear it all the time. and so, you know, if, if Michael Jordan had be like Mike, Kobe had the Mamba mentality. Um, the Mamba mentality is a term that's edgy. It kind of just in the way it sounds with the consonants in it, it sounds like you need to work hard to have the Mamba mentality, you know, kind of a thing. So I think the combination of those two factors um, makes Kobe kind of a touchstone for a lot of, uh, you know, more recent generations of of NBA players. Um, with Kobe, you mentioned just the, his international experience and how that's really influenced him. Um, do you think other players today could take a page out of his book? We've seen really the complexion of high school athletes and now with NIL and just the, you know, the changing of college and just with maybe the rules changes. Um, players not necessarily just going the traditional path. Um, do you think internationally that might be the best option for a lot of players in high school um, that might be in the United States just to play internationally instead of this, you know, going the more this college route to gain more of that professional experience so they're prepared for uh, possibly their NBA careers? Do you think that's more of a viable option as compared to before that was more of, I would say, a negative for a player to go play overseas uh, that got more of a negative connotation. But I think now that might be kind of a, a viable path for a lot of players out there instead of just going to traditional, I'm going to Duke or North Carolina. Yeah, it's an interesting question, Justin. Um, I think it might be. I think it depends on what level you're going to be playing at if you're abroad. Uh, I think for Kobe, what it did was broaden his perspective. You know, Kobe didn't have a core group of really, really close friends. You often see that in guys who come into the league. They have their their crew, so to speak, or their group, their real cluster of guys who ride with them or die. You know, LeBron has a group like that. Other guys have had, you know, really tight groups like that. Kobe didn't have that. But what he did have was an openness of perspective when it came to interacting with other people because he and his family 
were among the very few black fam faces and families they saw when they were in Italy. So Kobe didn't see race or didn't see differences in culture in the way that a lot of us do when we grow up in kind of this cloistered environment that, that so many of us do. You know, you only you have friends from your neighborhood or you have friends from school and that's it. Kobe would have friends from Italy and he'd have friends from suburban Philly and he'd have friends as he got older from Lower Marion High School and he'd have friends from inner city Philly who he played AAU and summer league against. So um, he, he really, he could, he could handle socially just about any kind of situation when it came related to basketball in his career. So um, maybe there's something to be said for that. Maybe more players ought to be, if they can, exposing themselves to that kind of experience. Um, it's a really good question. One of the things I've noticed about Kobe was, I think, a change in his mentality towards the media. And I found it you know, refreshing towards the latter part of his career, him just being brutally honest, him not really caring what other people thought, just telling like it is compared to, I think, the beginning of career, him trying to fit in this box that I think a lot of fans thought he should fit in. Where do you think that change took place? I, I just thought that was pretty pronounced. I think I've seen that with LeBron now somewhat and not really caring what the consequences are to speaking you know, their truth, um, regardless of what people think. I think it's a natural process and rite of passage of maturity. You, you grow up, you get older, you get more experienced, you get wiser. I think uh, marriage and family has something to do with that. Uh, children ground you. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, they ground you. And so you come to a different understanding of what's really important in your life compared to when you were 22, you know, or something along those lines. So I think some of that is just naturally what happens as you as you age and gain more experience in life. You feel more self-assured about who you are uh, and you're not trying to be something you're not. You're not trying to earn anybody's respect anymore. You've already earned it. And if you haven't earned it from that, from a certain someone who cares, you know, it doesn't bother you as much anymore. Do you think with with Kobe's legacy, I, I'm, I'm just thinking now, you know, another 10 years, 20 years, um, do you think your uh, opinion of him in terms of how the public precedes him, do you think that will change? Or do you think this this legacy that, you know, he rightfully earned will still maintain the test of time? Do you think, um, you know, is he, will he go through what, you know, Michael Jordan is going through in terms of, you know, people just seeing just the highlights on television? Or do you think his legacy might, you know, lie differently? Like I think of Allen Iverson, like he really hits different with a lot of, you know, younger players now, even though they may have never seen him play compared to Michael. So do you think his legacy with just, you know, future um, athletes that enter, you know, whether they play professionally or just, you know, they play for fun, do you think his legacy will be different than other legends? Or do you think he'll fall into that pattern? Just like he's kind of this old timer <laughs> lost in time. Like do, where do you think his, his legacy will lie in the future? I'm not sure he's going to be lost in time because I think his story is so unique. Yeah. Uh, I think, as we said earlier, the Mamba mentality uh, is something that lasts, that has staying power. And I think the fact that he devoted himself so fully and completely at such an early age to being great, to being the best basketball player on the planet, is something that will resonate for years to come. Um, you know, it's an interesting question, too, with respect to the style of play in basketball. Yeah. You don't see many players anymore playing the way Kobe played. You know, Kobe's degree of difficulty on the shots that he took was very, very high took a lot of long twos, took a lot of turnarounds, took a lot of shots that coaches nowadays would say to most players, don't take that shot. That's not a good shot. Um, 
I kind of miss that aspect of the sport. I think it's more entertaining when you see athletes like a Kobe or an AI take shots with a high degree of difficulty and you see them make them. Um, but I think that's going to have an influence too. Are we going to continue to see this evolution of basketball into efficiency and corner threes and nothing but three pointers and dunks, or are we going to get back some of the artistry into the sport? Um, because I think it's missing it a little bit. Do you think that's because of analytics? Does that have something to yes. do with it? Yeah, I think that absolutely has something to do with it. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned Steph Curry too. I think he's influenced a generation of, of young players who back when I was a kid, you grew up wanting to dunk the ball. Yes. That, that was your thing was, can I dunk? Can, can we get a rim so that I can, I can, even as a, you know, five foot a white kid can in the burbs, can I dunk? Now it's, can I make a 25 footer off the dribble? Uh, because that's what Steph does. And so I wonder how that's going to change over time too. Do you think, I mean, I heard, you know, when, when I was younger that like dunking, there was too much dunking like that, that kind of ruined the artistry of the game. Um, and now we're hearing the same thing about the three point shot. Um, is there a similarity there? Or do you think the three point shot actually has caused more damage compared to, you know, back in the nineties or maybe the late eighties when dunking was probably more dominant? Well, I think what caused the damage in the late 90s was the way the game came to be played. Um, you know, it very physical, the Knicks yeah. of the 90s, the, you know, the Spurs and the Pistons of the early 2000s, yeah. kind of playing that half-court game with Duncan and, um, you know, the team that the Pistons had that was so good defensively. But I do think that maybe it's kind of gone too far the other way. There has to be some resistance defensively. It has to look like... It's a little, at least a little difficult to score. And I wonder if that's uh, changed the sport for the worse nowadays. Um, you know, you're right about you would hear players dunk all the time, but there, there can be an artistry to dunk. I think the problem is it's harder to see um, something new and fresh nowadays with respect to the things that players can do in the air. You know, you have John Morant. And beyond that, it's kind of like, okay, well, who else do we have who, when he takes off to make an acrobatic layup or a dunk, you want to see it and you're, you're going to see something fresh and original. You know, Steph can still do that. Uh, a guy can still make 10 out of 10 threes on a given night uh, and, you, and you're, you marvel at his shooting. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that's an excellent point and also shows social media too. I mean, you have people dedicated to dunking on social media. So yeah. it's just like, look at Mac a, McClung, right? Yeah. And it's, it, so when you see Mac McClung on social media, it's just, you go to the NBA game, you're not impressed by John Morano or whoever. Um, it, it's certainly taking that mystique away. Um, yeah. I, I'm still impressed by Ja. <laughs> I, too. I think what he oh, does yeah. Me too. Yeah, totally agree. Um, just want to shift gears and talk to you about the, the Philadelphia 76ers. I think they're one of the most fascinating teams in the league. And I just want to get kind of your overall thoughts of the expectations in the playoffs. Um, and Beats had an MVP-like season. Um, I think he's a front runner to win it. What are what you're hearing from Sixers fans? What are the expectations? Are they expecting the Sixers um, to win the title? If they don't win, it's a bust, it's a failure? Or um, are they seeing, hey, you know, if they, make, if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, the finals, if they don't win, that's still a, that's still a success? Or is it just like with, you know, Philadelphia um, fans have a reputation for expecting the best. So what is kind of their expectations heading into the playoffs? I think their expectations are 
high and low at the very same time, if that makes sense. I think there's a good portion of the fan base that expects the Sixers to get bounced in the second round, presumably by the Celtics, because that's what the Sixers have done year after year after year. Um, I do think there's a segment of the fan base that says to themselves, this team is better than it's been. As you said, Embiid's probably going to be the MVP. James Harden's been better this year than he's been in a long time. Tyrese Maxey is a rising star. They have enough to get past the Celtics. And, you know, if we, if they get to the Eastern conference finals and lose, at least they got that far. Um, But I think most people are looking at this team and saying, if they get past the second round, it'll be almost a pleasant surprise because they've been so disappointing time after time in the postseason that Philadelphia fans are kind of girded for that. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask you about Ben Simmons and you recently wrote a column about him and um, for my co-host, he's usually here that he's been a, a topic of debate. And I think one of, an enigma I think Ben Simmons has been uh, for myself and wondering why when he's coming to the league, he's had these unrealistic expectations. And I just want to get your opinion in terms of his time in Philly and how things have played out in Brooklyn. Why do you think he had just this reputation of like with Stephen A. Smith calling him the next, you know, LeBron James or other people think he's going to be this transcendent player when, you know, I'm, I'm a basketball fan, but I'm, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I could tell like these expectations were way off. And I just wondered why, what we've seen so far is, I think it's been sad what we've seen from Ben Simmons, unfortunately, how his career has played out. But just just the way it's happened, why do you think he's had so many of these unrealistic, unrealistic expectations placed upon him and just seeing his career play out in this fashion now? Because everybody could see what kind of player he would be if he would just take, take a jump shot. Yeah. He had speed. He had size. He could handle the ball. He had great court vision. He was unselfish. He was a terrific defensive player. He could play virtually any position on the floor. All he had to do was put in the time and the effort to learn how to shoot and be willing to shoot. And he didn't do it for whatever reason, whether it was because he he had the yips or a lack of confidence or mental health issues or just didn't feel like he needed to. Uh, he didn't do it. And so, I mean, uh, you know, when, when the Sixers took him with the number one pick in the draft, there was an expectation that he's going to be the next LeBron because he could do everything else in the way LeBron could. But LeBron got better as a shooter over time. And Ben never, Ben got worse, if anything. And so um, people looking, you know, I don't know that there's another athlete in Philadelphia right now or maybe ever who's been as big a disappointment and is as disliked as Ben Simmons is because you could see how great he could have been if he would have just put in the time and the effort. And it doesn't seem like he did. Um, and I don't know that he's ever going to be anything close, any, again, to a starter or an all-star or anything like that. He just seems like a shell of himself. Do you fans just have an axe against him? Like, is it different than other, you know, players or athletes in just Philadelphia sports history, their relationship compared with Ben Simmons? Like, when you see just another person walking down the street in Philly, when you mention Ben Simmons, is it a lot of angst? <laughs> is it, like, personal? When yeah, you it is. That? And, yeah. and uh, the, the counterbalance, the counterexample I'll give to you is Markel Fultz, okay, mm-hmm. who went through something very similar to Simmons in that he kind of forgot how to shoot, okay? But Fultz made a good-faith effort. Everyone could see it, that he was trying – to get past this. And it just didn't happen while he was with the Sixers. And he's doing okay for himself now in Orlando. Yeah. Ben didn't make the effort. Ben didn't try. 
And that's the worst thing that you can do in Philadelphia. If you try, people here will love you forever. Yeah. But if you don't, forget it. Yeah, they'll just they'll, they'll I, and that that makes sense. And it's just it's truly unfortunate because I think, I, I think just with his talent and just certain parts of his career, certain times, I, I think there was a possibility for him to be a real difference maker in the league and just didn't materialize. It's just truly sad to see. Yeah, Philadelphia fans don't want to see someone who isn't willing to give his all and embrace the moment. And that's why that that pass on that dunk in game yeah. seven against the Hawks yeah. was such a turning point. for It was, this is the game that means everything. Your season's on the line. You are the second best player on the team, presumably. You are wide open under the basket, and you're afraid to dunk because you're afraid to get fouled and afraid to go to the free throw line and afraid to be embarrassed because you don't want to shoot free throws. And that that ended it here for him in Philadelphia. Um, one last question. Um, how do you see the rest of the NBA, just the, the Eastern and Western conference um, in terms of the playoffs or any kind of surprises that you're looking out for? Uh, we have the rise of the Sacramento Kings in the West. Um, there's anything that people aren't talking about that you're noticing that sh- could surprise fans when um, playoff time, it's almost here. Yeah. I don't know about surprises, Justin. I mean, I think the West is wide open. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sold yet on Phoenix and Kevin Durant as, you know, this four seed with a bullet who can just tear through everybody because now they've got Durant. Um, I think Milwaukee's probably going to come out of the East. I still like them best. Um, but the West is really intriguing to me. Uh, I think, you know, certainly Phoenix could come out of there. I wonder about Memphis. Uh, Denver, you know, has been disappointing in the postseason year after year. Maybe they make a run this time. Uh, there's a lot of parity out there. Uh, and so I'm curious to see what, what takes place. Mike, this has been a fantastic chat. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media. Um, again, where they can go pick up the book um, and any other projects that you wish to let us know about. Sure. Well, you can find me on Twitter at, at Mike Sealski, M-I-K-E-S-I-E-L-S-K-I. Uh, the name of the book, it's already out uh, about Kobe. is called The Rise. You can get it on Amazon or your local booksellers, uh, anywhere you get books. And uh, I'm still writing columns for the Inquirer, and I'm working on my next book, which is going to be kind of a history of the slam dunk, uh, wow. kind of an episodic look at the dunk and its impact on basketball and American culture. Uh, so I'm having a lot of fun uh, doing the research and the writing for that, and that'll be out sometime next year. Fascinating. I can't wait to read that. Uh, we've had a couple of dunkers on our show. I- I'm just, <laughs> I'm a fanatic about slam dunks. So <laughs> when that book comes Speaks out for you, then Justin, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for taking the time. Much appreciated. You got it. Thanks.